Party 13, let's suit up for adventure. They're the only ones that can save the world. Uh, what? A fantasy world of magic, monsters, and heroes. Yeah, uh, hello? Where is that voice coming from? Heroes like Andar Patron, the star of our story. Yeah, that's me, but what are you talking about? Oh, uh, sorry. We're in a promo for your podcast. Did nobody tell you? What? Your podcast. Have Spellbook Will Travel? Have Spellbook? It's a scripted fantasy comedy audio drama based on the creator's experiences playing tabletop games. To be honest, that sounds pretty boring. Well, it's hilarious. And heartwarming. And great. Super great. Whatever you say, buddy. Have Spellbook Will Travel on the Don't Split the Podcast Network. Start the adventure at HaveSpellbook.com or wherever podcasts are available for free. This is Mike Shea. Uh, I am here on the DM's Deep Dive. The DM's Deep Dive is a show where we get together with one special guest and pick one particular topic and dive deep into that topic. And today I am here with none other than our friend Matt Mercer. Matt, please introduce yourself for any who yes. don't happen to know you. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Matthew Mercer. I'm a, a voice actor in Los Angeles, California, and a longtime role-playing game nerd who uh, recently people, some people know who I am because I run a weekly uh, D&D game on Twitch called Critical Role on Geek and Sundry Switch on Thursdays and roll dice and just get super nerdy. <laughs> yeah, it's a great show. Uh, I, I love that show a lot. In fact, and, and um, uh, Force Grey. So, oh, Force Grey, yeah. You know, yeah, my wife and I love Force Grey. So, you know, we're Gen Xers with, with you know, a lot of, not a lot of time. So we love the 30-minute, the 30-minute D&D oh, shows yeah. are are great and it's a much more bite-sized thing yeah i watch the whole thing over breakfast every day so we really, oh, we really like it we're happy to hear it's coming back so uh we're gonna dive right in and today's topic um i wanted to talk about was how to bring npcs to life and i know that this is a topic you've covered on your dm tips on youtube we'll we'll be linking to those i i, I did a little bit of homework and watched those ahead of time so i wasn't trying to repeat too many things that you've already covered in detail and and you, you covered a lot of really good a lot of really great stuff there. So to to kind of get us started off, what would you say are your top three tips uh, for making NPCs come to life in D and D? Oh man, uh, as as a, as a broad note, because depending on the type of NPC, you can get real nuts and bolts about it. Um, but one one of my my big tips is having a strong idea of what drives that NPC. Meaning, is this does this individual a more of a socially submissive character? Do they tend to go along with what's happening around them? Do they do they drive the momentum of any scene they're in? If they encounter the players, uh, if they're an ally or a possible just neutral NPC, are they liable to, to step into the light and try and grab their attention? Or are they gonna slink behind and just kind of, you know, th think how the players will engage them and well, you know how intently they're going to drive a scene because that's going to help you know how you're going to set the stage for them. If, if they're a more subtle NPC, if they're a, either a, a spy-based personality or themselves just kind of more of a watcher, you want to make sure that you, when you drop enough hints to know why that NPC is important to the players, so they even pay attention. And two, when they actually get into a conversation that can guide the level of confidence and the level of information they're willing to give up. Right. So kind of making a note for an NPC about how, how strong or forceful they are 
both on the on the scene that you're setting and how they would be in conversation with the PCs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very basic note that works for both allies, villains. Like that's just a general good theme there. Another good tip is consider kind of on, on a on a private level, and I've mentioned this somewhat to other extents, but on top of their their force of of personality, what is their ultimate goal in each interaction? Mm-hmm. Are they trying to inspire the party to be better heroes? Are they trying to get a key bit of information out of them? Are they trying to gauge whether or not they're worthy of being a friend? Are they trying to just get more money out of them? Mm-hmm. You know, really, really define for yourself a very clear goal for that NPC. They can have multiple. They can have multiple things they're trying to do, especially if they're kind of the mastermind type persona. Mm-hmm. But you want to have at least one overarching goal that, that NPC has, and that will help you improvise snap decisions uh, right. because ultimately the players are going to throw you off kilter and ask <laughs> questions you weren't expecting. But as long as you have a very strong idea of what that NPC wants, it'll make it a lot easier for you to kind of improvise a response that is in character and doesn't deviate from the story that you're trying to prepare for them. Mm-hmm. And then third, while I'm, I'm a voice actor, voices are a thing for me Not everyone can do or, or feel confident enough changing up their voices. You don't need to. Body language is everything. Your physicality can completely change a character without having to do silly voices or, you know, if you're worried of embarrassing yourself at the table, you're just not comfortable doing that. More of a sly character. Don't be afraid to steeple your fingers and drop your shoulders a bit and just kind of be that sly, sneaky character that already sets the players, you know, uneasy. If they're more of a sly character, don't be afraid to steeple your fingers and drop your shoulders a bit and just kind of be that sly, sneaky character that already sets the players, you know, uneasy. Um, if they're a a welcoming persona, don't be afraid to put your palms up in front of you in a very kind of uh, open and welcoming position and smile. You know, these are all things that you don't have to have any sort of performing experience to do. Um, but it really makes a difference in embodying an NPC and changing how the players perceive them. Even just shifting your, your physicality a little bit, your players will know immediately that you've become a different character in that scene. So, so talking specifically about voices and, and being a professional voice actor, what are what are some tips that you can offer for us amateurs on on how we can really bring a little bit more more life to our uh, voices? Totally. Um, I mean, first and foremost, and it sounds dull response, but but practice. Um, just just like for from an acting standpoint, but just for when you have free time by yourself, where you feel comfortable and being silly and embarrassing. Practice to yourself. Improvise scenes in your own room or when you're driving or if you're in the shower. Write out scripts or, you know, scenes that you've prepared for your next session. However you prepare it, if you want to write a whole diatribe that NPC is supposed to, you know, give exposition on or just bullet points of topics they want to discuss with the players. Say these out loud when you're alone and record it and listen back to it and Mm -hmm. get a feel like, okay, Uh, Maybe I should make it deeper or maybe I should try and give it a little more grit or maybe I should make it, you know, louder because he's more emotionally invested in this. Use that time to to practice and listen back. And and from that point, you can decide how to adjust it a little bit uh, if you want to make it a a different texture. Um, And it's through that practice you get comfortable using those voices in a public setting with your other players and also figuring out nuances to your own voice that you can adjust. And really, it's just trying out silly voices in your own time, listening to characters and like pop- popular media that you like. You know, if you've got a good Zoidberg impression from <laughs> Futurama, don't be afraid to use Zoidberg in your game. But if, you, if you're if you good at that, a Zoidberg impression that's given to a higher voice is an entirely different character. Even though it's the same idea, you just try to tweak it a little. And so you, you learn to play in, in, in that space to grow more comfortable in those voices, and you can attribute those 
to NPCs. And the key to that is wherever you keep your notes for your NPCs, make notes about what type of voice you give them to remind you on the spot what you practiced or what you may have performed in a previous session. That really helps you you know, keep a log of the ballpark of where you had them last time you performed them or where you wanted them to be. Um, it's just all those things lend to competence for you as a DM to, to jump into a scene immediately without having to tell the players, hold on, wait, let me get in the character here, you know. Kind of following through on that a little bit, with your professional career in voice acting, what are some of the things that you've brought from your professional career to your D&D games? Like what, you know, what's, what, what has carried over well? Uh, well, the voices. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, yeah. The voices, voices obviously. Right, right. Well, it, it's ironic. In some ways, it, it's the other way around. My D and D game kind of led into my voiceover career in some ways. I, you know, I, I've just always been a theater person. I guess I should say, uh, theater has a huge impact on me and, and my dungeon mastering. I I love theater. I love the whole you know, elements of scene study and character study, and and really acting is the study of the human condition. It's trying to it's 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 empathy. It's being able to to try and understand somebody that's not you and embody those shoes for a bit. And so, those skills transition really well into a D and D game because you, as a as a as a dungeon master, ultimately what you're doing is you're writing a story and you're trying to inhabit these characters and bring them to life and interact with the players in a way that evokes emotion from them that has them believe and buy into your story. So I think training as a performer definitely helps lend to making NPCs a little more strong and memorable and, and keep your players invested in that scene. Uh, it's not absolutely necessary by any means, but that is one element that, that does, I think, help. Uh, other things involve, you know, when you read a lot of plays, especially a lot of Shakespearean plays, you also get to pick up a lot of old mythology, especially, like, for instance, the Feywild. It's Midsummer Night's Dream. Like, you know, a lot of those classic mytholo- mythological tales and a lot of uh, old plays and stories uh, that that was how storytelling was done back in the day. It was either books or stage plays. So you learn a lot about the roots of mythology in old theater. So uh, training as an actor in more of the classics also helps you kind of understand uh, not just the history of this mythology, but gives you a very strong basis of performing in that space and being confident to give these these different types of of moods to an NPC interaction. Um, and Honestly, a lot of classic stories and plays are are good examples of three acts of a story you can set up for your game itself. You look at any of the great three-act Shakespearean plays, whether it be tragedies or comedies, and you can pull inspiration from these bits, tweak them a bit, and make them your own unique stories in your game that have a classic flair and can feel a little more old-worldy mm-hmm. in comparison to sometimes the more... I want to say modern feel that some fantasy can definitely push for because that's what we're used to in media. Those are a few things that I think blend over. Are there any, you, you bring up some, uh, something interesting, probably the closest I get to, to studying Shakespeare was watching uh, the movie Titus by, mm. with Anthony Hopkins, right? Oh, yeah. And uh, are there other, so a lot of, uh, you know, I've had a lot of thoughts about how we sort of seed our minds with material like that. You brought up the Feywild and Midsummer, Midsummer Night's Dream. Are there other specific kind of uh, sources that you, you know, that come to mind that are really great places to sort of grab NPCs or grab situations or grab voices and bring them to our game? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, just, just off the top of your head, what are a couple of couple of ones that have grabbed you recently? I mean, if you want something really intense to get a, get a feel for, like, how to create a really intense uh, emotional political type drama in your game and you go to, like, 
Macbeth or uh, Othello. Those are such classic tales of of madness and the responsibilities of leadership and the, you know the backstabbing of lords and ladies of of you know the the high echelon of society. Um, then you can go into uh, like Midsummer Night's Dream, which is uh, such a great mixture of of interesting characters and fantastical. Uh, romanticized, uh, you know, fairy courts and fantasy magic, and that also helps you kind of learn how to how to set a scene that sounds that feels otherworldly to your players. Mm-hmm. Um, then you get into stories like The Tempest, which is just really intense um, and has a graver tone to it, and can has some really. Uh, there's just so many cool things. That, honestly, any if you haven't read any Shakespeare. Uh, pick a comedy from the mood for a comedy. Pick a, a dark tragedy from the mood for a tragedy, and you get a feel and understanding as to why these are considered classics and so timeless. And you'll be surprised how mu- how many small nuances of these stories can inspire or seed any uh, story arcs or you know plot hooks that you might consider bringing into your home campaign. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, another one is um, Neil Gaiman's Norse mythology. Sort of oh. condenses, you know, condenses all of the, the the good the good tales and running that while running Storm King's Thunder worked particularly well. Oh, uh, joining yeah. joining those two together is, is, has worked well for me. That's actually really really cool. I didn't think about that. Yeah, it's just blind luck that I happen to be reading at the same time as running it. So you you you've, you talked earlier about kind of keeping track of voices and um, in your uh, tips you actually had a a, a pretty robust sort of list of how to keep how to build an npc up ahead of time you had sort of minor you know major and minor npcs and the sorts of things that you would pay attention to there um but once you've actually run an npc and you, and you mentioned before like keeping track of voices uh how, how how do you do that across an entire campaign and even down to like the physical m- moves like do you do you keep a big excel spreadsheet do you have a, a giant notebook and a pen with a feather on it like what do you how do you keep track of you know, how do you keep track of these details that might spawn spontaneously at the table, but now you got it, you made it real and now you got to keep it real. Uh, one, you just do as best as you can. Uh, I will say um, most games have the luxury of not being on the Internet and recorded for posterity <laughs> for right. for an infinite period of time, in which case anything that you might forget <laughs> or any inconsistencies. Go look it up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, well, other people will will notice it. Whereas your home game, they probably won't notice it. You know, so you, you, get, crowd, you crowdsource your details. Uh, you can do that. Well, uh, let's say the opposite, where everything's now on the internet. So if any mistakes I make, oh yeah, I, I'm instantly notified. They're like, oh well, this this voice is a little <laughs> off, or like, why this character changed so much? I'm like, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> when it when it comes down to it, it like no one's going to do it perfectly. And uh, for your home game, as long as you're in the ballpark, your players will buy into it so don't don't feel too much pressure yeah Yeah. um but take taking notes um, any nuances or any things that come out of it try and remember those at the end of the game you know when when the session's over go back and take notes of anything you want to uh remember from that or in the moment if you can make a quick little note like uh pencil mustache um likes to itch his face you know like funny little notes to remind yourself later and then kind of research up on those notes before the next session that the npc might show up but you never know when the NPC is going to show up. Sometimes the players will be like, "Remember that weird merchant guy who you know was loved licking the side of that apple that we met 16 <laughs> sessions ago? Let's go talk to him." And you're like, yeah. "What was that guy like?" <laughs> Don't worry too much. Just try and do the best you can from memory, and they're probably going to buy in. They're not going to hate you for it. It's hard. It's no one. No one's going to do it perfectly. 
Um, all the notes that you take as a DM, as you're well aware, are to do your best <laughs> to remember as much as you can. Right, right. But nobody's perfect, and everyone's there to have a good time, and just trust that your players aren't going to hold your feet to the coals if you miss an aspect of an NPC's personality. You can always pull off the trick idea, which is you hold up an inspiration token, you say, who remembers the name of that character from the thing? And raise an eyebrow, right? Like, you know it. No, like, oh, yeah. That also and then, works. And then, yeah, and then if they don't know it, then you just make a new one up and say it, that would say it was that one the whole time. There you go. Perfect. Back on the tips, you actually had a fair bit of preparation that you did for NPCs. How often do you have to improvise an NPC on the spot? I'd say it's about 50-50. Yeah. Like, I, I, I try and prepare NPCs that I feel will be important to the story, uh, or at least may have a reasonable involvement at some point. Like, if they're going to go into a major city they haven't been to before, I'll try and create NPCs that are in charge of, you know, uh, a heavy part of the, the, the merchantile that happens in the city, or uh, the head of the, of the guard, or, you know, any major political figures, and possibly a handful of other miscreants they may come across, but inevitably the party's going to make choices that veer far from what you expected. Mm. And so I'd say about 50% of the time they're improvised, in which case it comes from understanding how well you understand the social environment of where they're traveling mm -hmm. and what kind of personalities would come up through that space. So if you, if you create a city that's very kind of down and out, slums, uh, you know, very heavily, uh, uh, very heavy poor, uh, civilian uh, amount in the, this part of the city, and they they go down a, a dark alleyway in search of some sort of a uh, a cutthroat to lead them to the black market or some sort of a, a you know an illegal sailing sales sales ground. Then what kind of person I would come out of that? Probably someone with uh, a rougher disposition, probably a little lower class. So they'd they'd be a little more rough around the edges. Probably not as eager to trust. So then you start thinking of somebody that might. Might be a little more uh, you know, who you think you are. Yeah, well, show me the money first. Maybe I'll show you around. <laughs> Anyone follow you? Are you being followed? You know, you need to start thinking about what what paranoia might come into that lifestyle, how, how uncharismatic some of these individuals may be, and you create something based off that, and you just build based on their responses. So much of the game is, is reacting to your players and them reacting to you that you kind of gauge what questions they ask the NPC, and then you immediately think, what would this NPC think of that question? Are they going to be cool with it? Are they going to be offended by it? Are they going to be threatened by it? You know, and then you just kind of build it on the spot. And I don't know, to me, that's kind of the thrill of being a dungeon master when the mm -hmm. players kind of throw you off of your prepared pedestal and you kind of have to, you know, fly by mm -hmm. the seat of your pants. So you so you said about 50-50, that about half the time you have sort of NPCs prepared ahead of time and then half the time you have to improvise. Yeah. Um, what do you think is missing with the ones that you're improvising that you would have had if you had prepared? I'd say in the moment, uh, very unique characteristics that would make them stand out. You know, when you improvise NPCs, occasionally you get a, a gem, but sometimes you also get very generic guard number three. Sometimes mm -hmm. you get, you know, general merchant seven. You get a bunch of background characters, which is fine. Not every NPC is going to be important. But, you know, there are, one, sometimes it can be hard to tie them directly into the story. If you're mm -hmm. trying to get them to a specific thread or they think they're floundering a bit on finding direction in the game, not having an immediate way of tying the NPC they encounter with that story thread can be a little frustrating. But once again, that's kind of the the imperfect magic of role-playing games is, uh, we're just trying, maybe this will work out. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, because it, it was kind of a, a little bit of a trick question because the next one would be, what if you had to improvise all of them? You know, what would that, what would that do to you? 
it would definitely spike my anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> but that's also very thrilling. You know, for for me, like good improv and as a person if, if you've anybody out there has ever done improv classes or has, has been interested in improv improvisation uh there is a certain type of stressful exhilaration that happens when you're on stage and you're making shit up mm -hmm. and you're just you're just buying into it 100 percent because you have to it's, it's yes and you're building off of each other and you're just making bold choices and going with it and you have no idea where, where it's going to go but you're just holding on for the ride and that same thing happens when you're when you're being a dungeon master and you're, you're making up NPCs in the fly. So having to do an entire campaign of improv NPCs, which I've done before, mm -hmm. it's scary, but it's also it's thrilling in a way that a very well planned game can always be. So I recommend at some point for DMs out there who haven't run a game like that sometime, for the hell of it, like get some beers, get some some trusted players around, and run a one shot where you don't have anything prepared and just see where it takes you. Mm -hmm. It might go terrible. It might end up being something absolutely incredible. But regardless, you'll probably be laughing the whole time and having a good time. Mm -hmm. With the right group? With the right group, yeah. yeah. You definitely definitely want to do that with people that you trust so you feel <laughs> comfortable moving forward with that. You know, you don't want to go into an Adventurous League game and do that because you're just probably going right. to make it real awkward for yourself and other people. Right, right. <laughs> um, and, and maybe you don't have an exact story offhand. I was uh, I was at a panel with uh, uh, where Chris Perkins was talking about his game, and he brought up the the NPC that he had spent like a lot of time kind of building out and really thinking about what this guy's motivation was and you know what how he would kind of act with the party. And he was a particularly important quest NPC that was going to have a lot of the you know a lot of the information that the characters needed to move forward. And the one fatal mistake he made is that he met him on a cliffside. And as soon as he showed up, one of the characters hurled him off the cliff, like right away, <laughs> and off he went. And and you know, he had to kind of play it off the seat of his pants from there on out. Have you ever had a situation where like the, the NPCs that you had planned out ahead of time, things went really perpendicular on you, and you ended up having to kind of improvise everything? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Just or just um, happens pretty regularly. I had a, a not too regularly, uh, but it, you know it happens. I remember uh, a game I ran in the late 2000s. Uh, it was a it was a four E game, but we had a, a session where I, I prepared this this whole storyline that involved a um, kind of a, an illness that was spreading through this specific druidic this 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 leader this 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 druidic leader in, in this this one small kind of outside city, um, and they were trying to find who possibly may have they, they discovered that the disease was actually part of a poison, and they were trying to find out who was responsible for the poison. So they were going to hunt down these NPCs that may have been involved in this. And they had gone into this, this small kind of dive pub on the side of town. And this one guy they were supposed to talk to who was this washed up cleric who was a specialist in curing disease and had heard of this and was basically like their, their central story point to discover this. As soon as I described the NPC in this kind of off-putting persona, one of the party members was like, well, I'm going to go ahead and try and steal from him. <laughs> Okay, it's like, well, yeah, I want to see what he has on him. If the guy looks that rough and tumble, he doesn't. I don't want to approach him. I want to see if he has any incriminating evidence. What if he's the one who poisoned him? I'm like, okay, fair enough. Goes to steal, rolls terribly. He notices, grabs the the arm, and just in a very non-threatening way, goes like, uh, "Excuse me, what are you trying to do?" And he goes, "Uh, I, sh I shank him." <laughs> okay. Um, and of course, the rest of the party, because in this circumstance, uh, they were deciding, well, it's important for us to back up our friend more than it is to try and quell the situation. Right. They immediately began closing off the back corner 
and <laughs> trying to basically usher them out with anybody noticing, he starts shouting after being stabbed, which calls the guard, which leads to this whole scuffle in the town, which leads to the two, essentially them in classic D&D form, uh, murdering a number of patrons that were trying to defend this really not bad guy. And the entire story ended with them just being thrown out of the t- run out, uh, banished and with a uh, bounty on their head and they could never return. So I had to discard the entire storyline. <laughs> and the rest of the story then was them essentially running from the law and trying to find a place to set up camp and find allies in which they can get themselves escorted as far away from possible from this city and the local township, which now had their information because they'd already been going around and introducing themselves to people and asking. They were the, it was an investigation. They were the investigators. Their names were everywhere. <laughs> Not anymore. Not at all. Yeah, and so they couldn't go. They couldn't go anywhere near. They basically blacklisted <laughs> themselves from that entire area of the continent, and the whole story shifted from there. They were, they were uh, on the run. Uh, when you're sitting down to prepare a game, uh, do you sort of have a, a number in mind of the NPCs that you want to have prepared, or do you just is it kind of based on the story? I think it's based on the story. If it's going to be uh, a travel session, or if it's going to be a remote location session, you generally don't have to prepare that many NPCs, and the story will definitely guide what important characters they may encounter, whether they be villainous or allies or possibly either way, depending on the interaction, or if it's just an, uh, an information uh, NPC, someone who's, who's fleeing and just like, oh, don't go there, this is bad, you know, and then darts out. The story informs those decisions a lot. The, the difficulty gets to any sort of an urban environment mm-hmm. because then you have a plethora of opportunities for them to encounter anybody. So for those sessions, you, I find myself over-preparing. For those mm-hmm. I... I give myself a good solid maybe six to ten major NPCs that might be involved in the story mm-hmm. to different degrees. Then I prepare ten secondary NPCs that have no attachment to the story that can be, uh, you know, a, a general bartender information hub, one that can be uh, a, a jewelry merchant on the street that happens to have seen some weird things go down recently. Uh, one of them could be uh, you know, a, a, a brother, sister, uh, little, you know, popper children that run through the town who, you know, tug on the, the side of someone's armor to tell them that they saw some strange shadow wandering and if they could help protect their family from the shadow, which ties into the story, you know, so you can just diff- different personalities around that if the players ever either go into a lull and they're not quite grasping the hook of the story, I can throw one of them in there to kind of guide them along. Mm-hmm. Or conversely, if they're searching for a type of personality, I can retrofit one of these kind of amorphous NPCs I'd prepared in space and then tie them to what they're looking for and then be prepared for that sort of a circumstance. So mm-hmm. that's that's kind of a loose preparation scale for uh, an introduction to an urban environment for me. And even mm-hmm. so, that usually involves making up a lot of stuff. So uh, what, what does that physically look like? Do you Do you have sheets of paper with all this written down how do you how do you actually when you say you prepare an npc ahead of time what what you know what does it look like uh for for me personally i prepare everything in a word document uh i usually have uh you know big bold headers at the top about each location so like for instance if if someone were to go to like the swamp town of stillben i'd say stillben in big bold letters and i'd have a descriptor of the entry to the city with like a little expository notes of what kind of things they might see as they enter then i'd have a list of the different areas in the city they might go to with smaller uh, bold headings. And then with each of those areas, I'd have bullet points that are mm-hmm. kind of in, you know, indented on the inside. And there I'd list locations. And, and, and then within those bullet points, I'd have the NPCs they might find at those locations. Mm-hmm. 
if I have any random NPCs that don't have a specific location, like I told you, the secondary kind of amorphous ones, I just have them as a bullet point list at the bottom of that whole mm -hmm. city listing. So if they say something, I can just flip real fast to that section, pick one of those NPCs, and tie it to that current scenario. Mm -hmm. I've, I've, I know people who it works well to do note cards. Mm -hmm. They have a little note card box, and they organize them with dividers. Uh, that works really well for a lot of people. But uh, I've, just, I've done so much of my writing for my games in uh, Word for so long that that format seems to work best for me. When you're when you're running, do you have your laptop out with the Word document? Do you print it? How do you? I print it. I'm a yeah. tactile person. Sure. So I, I and I understand the computer's probably easier for a lot of people because you can change things on the fly. But I'm I'm too old school. I'm too pen and paper. I like to make my notes with my pencil. I like to flip through the pages. I like to to keep my attention pretty easily up and down between the players. And I find that with a computer there, for some reason, my attention gravitates more to a screen. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So a little slightly off topic from from NPC generation overall, but tied to it. About how long do you prepare? What about how long? How much time do you spend preparing for a game? It varies. I've found based on where they are and what level they are, as I've learned with, with recent uh, games. Uh, urban settings to me take a lot more preparation because there's a lot more possible things that can happen, um, and I find that. Uh, if it's early into or you don't have a very defined story hook yet, the players are very driven towards those sessions take a lot more preparation for the same reason. There's just a lot of possibility. Mm -hmm. uh, if they're honing in on the tail end of an investigation or they're hot on the trail of their next lead, those the players are guiding in a generally solid direction. You don't have to prepare as much around that, even though you still want to have a few things. Um, so I'd say for the for the, the points where the players are driven forward, it's about one hour prep per hour of gameplay, probably. Okay. For the larger uh, urban environments or pre-story hook elements where there's a lot of possibility, I'd say it probably is two hours of preparation per hour of gameplay. Wow. For me. Yeah. And the higher level the players get and the higher level spells they have access to where they can just teleport anywhere <laughs> in the world at any given point in time, <laughs> that grows to maybe... To maybe <laughs> hours per hour of gameplay. <laughs> is that is that because it's full of what ifs? Like, yeah, because the players know, can go anywhere. What if they what if they go to the astral plane? Let me write yeah. a whole thread for that. What if they Exactly. Yeah. What's like a plane shift and you teleport and <laughs> right. transport via plants? Like what's the limitations are off to a certain extent. So you you don't have to. You can still rope you know improv everything, but if you want to have some preparation, you kinda of have to have a little bit of preparation for a lot. Yeah. Um it doesn't have to be a lot. Like I, for me, when I prepare for those sessions now, because my whole party is level eighteen now practically, so <laughs> uh, they're they're plane hopping and shit, and it's just it's hard to, to keep track of. So for me, I, I have bullet points in a sheet. At the end of every session, I have like three pages that are just general small notes for possible places they might go. Mm -hmm. You know, here's this plane, a little paragraph about the plane, a couple of places, and a couple of NPCs with very basic notes, just in case they might go there. I have something in my pocket that I can improv and build off of mm -hmm. and sometimes most times none of those will ever come into play but it's just it's comfortable to have that back up um so one, going, going back to the the topic of npcs specifically and and as we're as we're building npcs as we're running npcs are there and particularly when we're you know when we're when we're doing the voices when we're kind of bringing npc to life are there things we need to be careful of and things we ought to be avoiding are there you know what are the trouble spots what are the what are the barbed hooks this is a great question. Um, what, the other ones weren't great? No, no. I, 
Oh, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, the, the, this question, I because I, I think this is a very it's a it's a very prominent question that never really gets answered in a lot of ways, and I think it's is a, there's a lot of pitfalls involved with this, um, just classically with the gaming environment. Is you want to avoid stereotypes, mm-hmm. um, you know, like there are accents and dialects that are fun to play with and such, but you want to make sure you come with it from a level of respect. For instance. If you're a, if you're a, a guy who's DMing a game and you have female NPCs, a lot of us who've been gaming for a long time know that most times it used to fall into Monty Python territory. Mm-hmm. You know, whenever you'd have a barmaid would come up or a, a female, uh, you know, protagonist aide that would come to them, they always sort of end up like this to a certain <laughs> degree, which can be fun here and there. But there's this this sense that you have to to play up the caricature of of a guy doing a girl. Um, and I, I, I disagree with that. I find that once again, the posture can change it dramatically and even just a, a very faint softening of the voice can be enough to bring a more feminine quality to an NPC without it becoming a caricature or something mm-hmm. that takes away from the importance of that character's conversation and meeting with the players. Mm-hmm. Caricatures have their place, but you have to be just, just be mindful to that. Sometimes it can distract from the story you're trying to tell if you mm-hmm. push too far, and uh, for, you know, sometimes the female players at the table especially, and we have uh, thankfully much more of that in recent years, mm-hmm. uh, the gaming community at large, you don't want to alienate any of your female players by unintentionally, you know, giving a, a somewhat sexist or misinformed interpretation of how every female NPC would act. Mm-hmm. I've seen it in games before. I know I've probably done it in games in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, the stupid teenagers do what stupid teenagers do. Uh, mm-hmm. But you learn from those and you grow. And so my recommendation for, for that is to, is to come with it from a respectful standpoint and understand that it's it's more important about the personality and the information and the scene than it is to try and sound like a girl, mm-hmm. you know, and vice versa as, as uh, a female a DM trying to do male characters. Uh, you know, you can still do the big booming voice for characters that work for that way, but don't feel like you have to radically alter your voice to to play a character that is different from your uh, your your sex or, or your your persona. You mm-hmm. just want to be honest with the information, with the conversation, and once again, how you physically hold yourself makes more difference than you imagine. And once again, avoiding stereotypes. Uh, there's a very fine line when it comes to dialects and accents. You know, we all, <laughs> uh, you know, we all like to, you know, do, you know, British to varying degrees of of you know a, a, a decent uh, legit dialect to going into Mary Poppins, Dick Van Dyke territory. Just be be very respectful and mindful of, of any different ethnicities or cultural backgrounds that you incorporate that type of sound into your game to, to not do anything that is disrespectful of anyone at the table. And if you're worried about any of that, talk with your players about it. Be mm-hmm. like, you know, after you introduce an NPC and, and you're like, mm, I don't want anyone to feel weird about it after the game or after the scene even, or if you take a break, talk to the players and be like, no, please tell me, was that offensive? I didn't mean for it to be if it was, you know, if you're ever questioning that and -hmm. players be respectful to inform that. uh, Mm -hmm. And so like, eh, maybe feel a little uncomfortable or like, that didn't bother me too much. Just be mindful. You know, that's how you continue to create a space that's safe for all of you to improvise and explore together. Mm -hmm. Ultimately playing a role-playing game is a very uh, wonderful freeing, but also can be often a very, um, vulnerable thing mm-hmm. you're 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 opening up and stepping into uh this other persona and you're exploring elements of of 
emotion and reaction and you know heroic flaws and storytelling that you you don't get to in your normal life and they can put players in a very sensitive place and it's that type of conversation that helps you avoid it becoming uh a difficult or unsafe space for you to do that together and mm -hmm. so that that those are my recommendations in that regard mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah friend friend of the show friend 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 of me personally and and one of the uh, one of the co-founders of the the very podcast we're on james intercasso had a, uh, a a tip that I've been using a lot in uh, design, but now also a lot in improv, which is just right at the last minute switching the gender of a character, mm -hmm. and and it has this nice effect of kind of I, I think I'm you know thinking about it I'm like maybe it's like everybody's just turning into my version of a guy, and I need to be careful about that. But like <laughs> you know many times I'll have like the big the big burly bartender, and I'm like and it's a woman, you know I can't a woman be a big burly bartender. Yeah, why not, um, man? One of the most one of the most recent ones that that I thought was kind of interesting is um, they went to Darkhold in in the Forgotten Realms and there's a Death Knight that runs Darkhold called the Paragost and I had the Paragost take off his helmet and it was a woman you know the Paragost has always been a woman and I love you know, I'm like I'm probably breaking some canon somewhere but I don't care because it I doesn't matter female Death Knight that runs that runs Darkhold sounds far cooler to me heck yeah um, and and that, that's what's so cool about the the space that you create with your players is you can make any adjustments you want to that world right. and the more variety you include the more living and breathing the world seems the more it's e the easier it is for the players to get lost in the world that you've created for them when you begin to really embrace the variety of of backgrounds and cultures and, and individuals that can fill this space so i like that challenge yourself to to create an npc and then make that change unexpectedly and see where it takes you that's really cool i like that note i like that a lot oh man i really want to experience the magic of dungeons and dragons but i'm a cave hermit who made an oath never to speak to other people again and i want to watch a classic fantasy series like lord of the rings or game of thrones but i can't stand the sight of human faces well, I want to relive the magic of make-believe, the humor of a preschool-aged child, and the genuine camaraderie of nearly 10 years of friendship through only my ears, but I don't know how! <laughs> you ignorant fools! You don't even know about... Dames and Dragons! <gasps> what? Dames and Dragons, updated every second Monday, wherever podcasts are sold. Rudy, let's take some questions from, from, from Twitter and from Twitch. Awesome. What have you got for us? Yeah, so just first off, there are so many amazing questions <laughs> in Twitch. Like, this is so hard for me to pick and choose. So we're, we'll be here for probably another four hours. I not even to okay. mention some of the great questions we got on Twitter. And thank you, everyone, for your patience during that hiccup we had earlier. So let's, let's get to it, starting with Twitter from at TaxiFish. <laughs> Sessions can be so long with so many characters, many of them monstrous. How do you keep your voice healthy slash prevent it from getting tired? Oh, that's a good question. A few things. Make sure you get adequate rest before the session, which can be hard depending on how, you know, much of us like to cram that at the last minute. I never do that. Try and get as much rest as you can beforehand. Always stay hydrated. Stay hydrated. Keep water near you at all times. Um, and and keep just keep yourself hydrated as much as you possibly can. I recommend that that hydration be water more often than not. You can drink at the table as well with it, and what happens is it, it tightens your vocal cords and the impact on them ends up being more intense than it would be otherwise. So mm -hmm. 
drink, you know, most, a lot of us drink during our games, um, but just be mindful if you're having to talk a lot as a dungeon master, try and keep a balance between water and alcohol so it doesn't <laughs> really rough you up. And if you're starting to feel any sort of strain in your voice, uh, hot tea with lemon and honey is very good. Um, Throat Coat in particular is a brand of tea that, that is designed to help you, uh, you know, co coat the throat and prevent any long form damage and, and help kind of pr preserve uh, the health of your voice. Um, there's also a really, really good voiceover trick uh, or a particular liquid called Ninjom Pepakoa. It's a Chinese like uh, cough syrup that you can find on Amazon. It's very thick. Uh, it's very sweet. Definitely not part of your healthiest regime, but <laughs> just a, a little bit of it and letting it kind of run down and, and coat the back of your, your throat has helped a lot of us through very intense vocally stressful voiceover sessions and has saved a lot of friends uh, who do a lot of theatrical stage plays and has saved my ass many a time doing long DMing sessions with very intense, <laughs> gruff, vocal, uh, uh, you know, monstrous NPCs. Um, those are all uh, big recommendations. And my last final note on that is if your voice is definitely going and you feel the strain and the pains there, if you can end your session early, <laughs> this is really fun. We'll pick this up next time. But right now, uh, I'm starting to get a little hoarse, and I'm afraid that if I go any further, it's going to damage my voice, and I'm going to end up with laryngitis. And the players will be like, "Oh, totally get it." And please respect that, players. I mean, no matter how invested you are, because it is a lot of talking and a lot of uh, vocal <laughs> stress, especially with me doing a lot of, of monstrous characters. So, uh, yeah, bar none, if it's getting to that point where you're starting to feel the pain, stop the session and take some vocal rest. Rudy, what else you got? Okay, this is from xringer28 in Twitch chat. How do you reduce the amount of NPC assistance when exploring? My game has many NPCs. How can I ensure that the players do the real legwork and not simply turn and depend on the NPCs? <laughs> That's a very good question. I've had this come in, in a, even in my, my current game for Critical Role with like, well, why don't we just get these people to do this for us? It's like, ah, it's your story, guys. You know, uh, you, you want them to be helpful. You want to be part of the, part of the, uh, the story, but you don't want to take away player agency. One, you can, whatever the, the players want the NPC to do, try and devise a way that the NPC's aid is, they, takes them out of the story for a bit or separates them from the main narrative. Maybe maybe what they're trying to ask the NPC to do, the NPC could say, oh, uh, I can't really do what you're asking, but I can help with a part of it. Let me go ahead and try and research this for you. Or let me go ahead and ask a friend you know, who's a long way away who might have some information that can help while you go ahead and continue with your journey. Um, or perhaps the NPC might feel that they're being used a bit. Be like, well, wait, wait, you keep asking me for help. Well, you know, at this point, I'm going to go ahead and charge you for this. Or, <laughs> you know, or they might be like, you guys, I'm, I'm really tired. I'm exhausted. Or I, that NPC could have a crisis in their own life and they have to bow out as well. We've all had that friend or coworker who suddenly had an emergency come up and they had to you know, disappear for a while. That can also happen. And that could also be an interesting B-plot for a story down the road that this beloved NPC suddenly has another emergency uh, that you can flesh out that they might have to aid them with later. Um, but the idea is, yeah, it's a it's a delicate balance because you don't want to feel like, you know, the players are, are the NPCs are useless, but you also don't want them to feel like they're uh, uh, they're abusing the, the well wishes or, or the, the abilities of these NPCs. Consider if the NPC is powerful enough to where the, pl the players are thinking, well, why don't we just have this person do it for us? Maybe the NPC doesn't have as much interest in this narrative as the players do. Maybe there's an element of, of them going, uh, 
I, I have bigger fish to fry. You guys can take care of this, right? Mm-hmm. Try and find a way to, 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 to balance it best you can. It's not easy. And there, there, is no, there is no real answer to that question beyond just suggestions to try and avoid that scenario. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's not a perfect plan, but it's what I got. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, had, I've had particular trouble. Sometimes the published modules I'm running will kind of, you know, as part of the module has a lot of NPCs out of the abyss. A Watsi published module had like seven NPCs that would follow your party around, and and Storm King's Thunder has Harshnag, who's like this immense, you know, frost giant with a plus three axe, and he joined my group, and then they fought like two Remorazes, and they're like, okay, get in there, Harshnag. It's like, no, I want to see how you guys do with this. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're such a dick. It is like, oh yeah, I'll just, I don't want to take away from your. Hero, heroism here so you know the problem is like how long can you get away with stuff like that so yeah it's always a trick and 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 the only solution i have is try as hard as i can to ensure that there aren't npcs following the characters around you know, yeah they're always off doing something else yeah or or, or if they're there for a short time find a right. natural exit for them right yeah. they get knocked out yeah yeah, happens. yeah. <laughs> rudy what else you got okay this is from flying dick 23 in twitch chat <laughs> great uh, yeah uh, Matt That's and Mike, a good question. <laughs> as a soon-to-be first-time DM, what can I afford to screw up? Rules, narrative, encounter balance, trying to listen to everything. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna screw up all that because <laughs> you, you, don't, you don't you don't stop screwing it up. We all just screw up less as each session goes on. You know, it's um, no one runs a perfect game, and the, you know I've been DMing off and on for 20 years, and uh, I messed up up all the time. Uh, which I'm made aware of on Twitter. Um, <laughs> a little but, harder for you. <laughs> yeah, but, but you know, it, people are invested. Um, That's true. But yeah, you're going to mess it all up. And and I think main keys don't worry about that. You know, you're going to stress yourself out trying to run a perfect game. Uh, you do as best as you can, learn the rules as best you can, you know, prepare as best you can, and then just have a good time. The, the real, and to me, the real goal of a, of a dungeon master or a game master is... You're crafting and gifting this experience to your players. If they're enjoying it, you'll enjoy it by proxy. Uh, most groups. Most groups. If you can read your group and converse enough, you'll know if they want to be the murder hobo type. Um, but, but yeah, you, you're providing this experience for them, and that's what matters. So the rules be damned. If you forget things and the players know it better than you, then they can inform you and you guys can learn from each other. If you and the players both know the rules, you just make judgment calls based on what you know, you know, what makes sense. If someone says, I want to go ahead and take this chair and chuck it across the room of the guy's head, you're like, oh, there's no rule in the book for throwing chairs across the room. It's your, you just confidently make a choice as a, as a DM. Be like, all right, uh, make a strength check. All right, cool. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and roll a dexterity save for this guy to see if he dodges out of the way. Oh, he rolled low. Go ahead and roll 1d4 plus strength damage and the chair smashes into his face. That, that that's may or may not be a rule, but it doesn't matter because you didn't stop to have to look it up. You made a judgment call. You didn't slow down the action, and the players were still engaged in the cinematic element of that moment. And one of the one of the players got to go, "Cool, I hit a guy with a chair from across the room." And it's those sequences that make D and D the glorious experiences it is. So don't stress too much about knowing the rules. Learn as best you can. Fake it when you don't know, and you'll all just have a good time. Yeah, I've often I've often thought that just figuring out how to relax is probably the best preparation skill, right? Like it's true. Rec- recognizing that like everyone's come, generally speaking, like you're right, there are some groups where it's not always not always ideal, but most of the time people are coming around the table to have a good time. 
if you know if you can if you can be conductive to having a good time then a lot of the other things can you know can can fall away and you know rules you can probably screw up rules easiest and not and not hose things up in counterbalance that could go really bad if you don't pay a little bit of attention to it but there's you know, at least in 5e there's some pretty good rules of thumb for yeah. for kind of keeping a gauge on this is going to be too hard you know if the cr yeah. is if the CR is significantly higher than the level of the characters, you, you, you might be in some trouble. But generally speaking, yeah. you'll be okay. If, if you're really worried about encounter balance and like it's, it's the first time for all your players and you don't want to like TPK them in the first battle yeah. and give everyone a terrible experience, consider and plan for some sort of a, a backup in case things mm -hmm. do go really poorly. Maybe have you know a last-minute cavalry of another adventuring band that comes in yeah. and saves them and becomes almost like their, their patron for the first session. You'd be like, oh, you guys almost had a bad time there. Well, you new to this? It will show you some of the ropes, <laughs> and they already have their first NPC allies that can kind of help them out right. a bit before they wander off in whatever adventure right. they're doing. Right. Um, you know, come up with a couple of loose backup plans in case things go really bad for those first few yeah. sessions. You know, right. I, right. yeah, getting I'm, captured. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm up against the idea of, of, of heavy training wheels for a prolonged period of time. But if it's a first session for you and your players, yeah. it doesn't hurt to have a little bit of a, a, a gutter bumper for your first game of bowling yeah. just to yeah. get the feel for it. Yeah, level one, level one is rough. Be, be real be real nice to people at level one. Yeah. <laughs> Get him to level two with a strong conversation. Rudy, what else you got? What voice slash accent pitfalls or bad habits should be avoided when coming up with a voice on the spot? If it's going to be a longstanding NPC, don't do anything that's too stressful on your throat. <laughs> um, if it's like uh, they're looking for someone to, to guide them to this next leg of the adventure and the first guy they come out is like, hi, I want to work with you. You're not, not going to have a voice in 10 minutes. It's going to be gone. <laughs> so try not try not to do that, you know, out of the gate. Um, once again, av avoid ethnic stereotypes best you can. That that might end up offending people. And I would say, I mean, th th those those are the two big ones, really. Just don't don't hurt yourself and and don't be offensive. <laughs> yeah, one 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 other trick, and I've, I've had that where I've like started a voice and then realized it was a terrible mistake. You know that like I've I've now boxed myself in, and I quickly switch to the third person to go. He then explains to you his desires for X. You know, <laughs> it's like I don't have to do that goofy voice for the next forty-five minutes. Yeah, so. or, or or if it's a character that uh, is a little more of a say a face man or a, an individual with many faces, you could always like change the voice and be like, yeah. I'll now reveal to you my true personality. <laughs> right, right, with a much easier voice. Yes, I was just <laughs> testing you. <laughs> awesome. So that last question was from Serpentine Owl, just to clarify. Ah, that's, yeah. that's, yeah, that's my good friend James Rouse. Ah, oh, nice. awesome. Hi, James. I'll be seeing him this weekend. Next up from Loki Bryce. Have you ever needed to revise or retcon a previous plot line? How do you handle inconsistencies that crop up in long-term campaigns? Uh, yeah, that's that's happened in, in games many times. When any person that, that's new to long-form storytelling, especially one that's as improvised as D&D is, it's going to happen. Things will creep up that will be either holes in the plot that you had kind of designed or the players will do things that will knock big old chunks out of your plot. And that's that's what the importance of between sessions is. You kind of have to then brainstorm ways to tie it back together. You can come up with those uh, red herrings to distract them while you figure it out if they're like hot on the chase. And give yourself a little breathing room to try and, and figure out a way to, to, to fix those little leaks. That can involve introducing NPCs that fill the gaps. That can involve uh, creating an, uh, an artifact with a magical effect that explains or gives reason as to why this strange thing occurred that shouldn't have. Uh, it can, you know, it, it, it may seem a little deus ex machina from your perspective, 
but the players don't see that point. And if you give yourself the time to really kind of iron out those those kinks, uh, it, they, for the most part, won't be able to tell once those reveals happen. And it might even look like it was part of your ultimate plan, but they don't know because you're the GM and it's all behind the, the you know, smoke and mirrors of your storytelling. Uh, you know, the, uh, most of being a dungeon master is confidently bullshitting. So uh, as, as long as <laughs> as long as you give yourself time to iron out that's those. My next, that's the title of my next book, by the way. <laughs> that's a good title. You go with it. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, I think uh, one I, it was a 4E campaign that I ran and the uh, I, I had some ancient creature, you know, that was like 400,000 years old that attacked the party. And I said and it was it was basically genetically built to hunt you guys down and kill you. And they're like. We're not four hundred thousand years old. Like, how how's that true? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to figure that out. And then I had to come up with some crazy like lore where you know the gods knew that they were going to be a problem, and that like we're going to have to get started early on this issue. <laughs> Very <laughs> proactive of these <laughs> yeah, gods. Right. Yeah, it was a, it was a mess. It ended up working out. They found this, yeah, yeah, it all it all works out because you're basically the equivalent of like one of those uh, pneumatic banker things, only you could do time travel with it and send messages to yourself. Oh, there you go. See, and there's a cool new plot thread that wasn't going to be there before. Yeah, Boom. yeah. I think uh, Marvel Comics had a thing called the No Prize. Did you ever hear about this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. When you'd find inconsistencies in their comic books, you would have to identify the inconsistency and then write a scenario that made it true. And you know, I think that as DMs, that's something we that's something we do a lot. You know, yeah. find 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 holes in our stories and then figure out how those holes weren't holes at all, but part of a great big master plan. Rudy, what else you got? This is from Yisas14 in Twitch. How does someone with no acting background slash chops start training for acquiring a wider range of voices to color NPCs? At the beginning, it's a lot of a lot of call and repeat, I recommend. Uh, if there's any sort of characters and cartoons or video games that you like, and you're like, I want a character that kind of sounds like that, find an audio example on YouTube and just practice it for a while. Listen to it, try and parrot it back. And I mean, you might not ever sound directly like it, but in trying to, you'll end up discovering things that you didn't think maybe you could do with your voice before. And when you find a cool voice, if you practice for a while and you know, suddenly after an hour or so, you got this thing like, this is kind of cool, I'll use this for an NPC. Grab your phone, which has a handy little, uh, I mean, unless you're on a flip phone, uh, <laughs> you have a handy little you know, voice memo or recording software that you can either download or might come on your phone like it does for the iPhone and record 30 seconds of you talking like this character. So later on when you're preparing a session, you can be like, oh, that voice I did would be really cool for this character. You could pull up the audio file, listen to it, and kind of get back into what it, what it took to remember that character voice to prepare yourself for the session. Um, I find that's very useful. If you're trying to learn dialects or accents, or at least something that, that sounds different than your natural uh, speaking voice, there's a website called the International Dialects of English Archive, hmm. uh, the IDEA. And there they have hundreds upon hundreds of MP3 files that are people from different continents, countries, regions all over the world reading from uh, these stories that basically get all the phonetic sounds of speech uh, in English. So you get to hear all these accents and dialects from all over the world talking in English. And these are good places to listen for foreign accents and try and pick up sounds that sound distant and different and unique and, and exotic compared to the, the typical speaking voice that we're used to at the D&D table. So that's a good place to listen and learn how to create different sounds for NPCs to make them sound like they're uh, unique and from far off lands in your fantasy world. 
That's awesome. Lots of, well, we'll definitely add that to the show notes. Rudy, what else you got? From <laughs> Milady Lee, what is the hardest NPC voice you've ever done? Oh, man. Clarota uh, <laughs> in Critical Role was a little difficult because it was a, a mind flayer. He was an, an illithid, an Alhoun specifically, a, uh, an arcane arcane talented uh, mind flayer that was ousted from the society and was kind of living on his own and was trying to find a way to kind of reintegrate. Um, and he was not only down here in this very sly place, <laughs> but he he spoke and then spoke through the inhale as well. So his sentences would be down here and then fall in for this sake. So it was this very strange, constantly talking way of making it. It sounded cool and unworldly and kind of what I imagined a really messed up uh, banished mind flayer would sound in your head through his psychic speech, but man, did it do a number on the voice. Uh, <laughs> I was very eager to make his statements as an NPC very short and his exposition very truncated. <laughs> <laughs> He's apparently a big fan. I'm just watching the chat channel go crazy with people. Oh, awesome <laughs> character, but definitely had to had to be careful with how much he spoke. From Shadow the Fallen on Twitch. I have a large group of players, seven. What is the best way to manage them? How do I make sure each character feels important? First off, make sure that you're communicating with your players that that's your intent. Let them all know that, you know, I, all of you are important and all of you have story elements and we'll have heroic moments in the story, but I can't have you all do it at once. So certain players will get them sooner than others, but know that I'm intending to give you all, you know, shared space in the story as it progresses. Just letting them know that will help them from getting the idea in their head that, wait, why is this guy getting all this attention and my character's to the wayside? You know, th there's a certain respect uh, at the table that you have to, to be able to step away from the spotlight and let other players step up when it, it's important for them to do so, you know, uh, respectfully letting other people uh, have that spotlight when, it, when it's important to the story. Um, so have that conversation if you feel that that's a worry within your group, uh, or even just to have it in general, just, just to assuage those fears at the very beginning. And then from there, one, if there's a way that you can incorporate a story, you know, story elements of two different characters' background into one, that can help to, you know, two birds, one stone scenario. You can have two characters kind of come into the spotlight for different reasons, but their narratives intertwine, which is both really cool because it now ties those PCs to a stronger bond going forward and also helps you uh, weave a good A and B plot story at the same time. You can kind of, you know, two birds, one stone again. And it, just be mindful of it. If you, if you don't, the fact that you're having that worry is good because that allows you to make sure that you're planning in that way. The minute you stop thinking about it is when you might un, unintentionally forget a player's, you know, story or, or let it become a little unwieldy or, or uh, lopsided. And it does happen. Like, once again, imperfect. We're making this shit up as we go. Yeah, just, just informing the players, being mindful of it as you go and try and find ways that you can, that you, where you, where it seems natural and where you, you can tie them together so you're not having to like give these long beats where each individual character gets their own narrative moments that way the players don't the players who are at the very end of that order that you've decided on aren't waiting for way too long to get to their place too that's a, that's a much better answer than mine which was shoot two of them <laughs> i don't think that's good so i think we got time for about one more question rudy you got one last one for us all right so this is from alpha stream on twitter ah how would you go about <laughs> emulating Mike Shea's voice oh. for use as an NPC in a campaign? Oh. How much can I pay you not to? 
Well, no, I mean, like you, you have a, a, a like a, a fairly natural, you know, well-spoken voice. So it's, it's not that different. I mean, I've, to talk for a minute. Well, I mean, there's definitely the, I'm catching up on this a bit, but uh, no, he's, he seems uh, very, very, you know, ha- happy to ask questions. And uh, all right, Rudy, uh, what do you got next? Um, <laughs> got a little laugh there for you. Yeah, see? right. With the with the L shaped. I mean, that, that's about as good as you can get. It, it's, his, voice, his voice isn't that isn't that different from mine, so uh, it's not a huge adjustment. <laughs> We're gonna, we got to do one more question. That one yeah. Is- if I am doing lo- milestone leveling in an open world, when should I level up my characters? Only during the main story arc, or perhaps during side quests and personal quests? Uh, I believe side quests and personal quests can definitely be an option for that as well. Um, the key is, you know, the milestone leveling represents personal growth for the characters. So if a storyline comes to an end that's a side storyline, but it's really impacted one or more of the PCs, then you are more than totally within your right to go ahead and make that a milestone level. If you feel it's been enough time of their previous level where they've earned it, you know, you want to make sure you don't jump a level too quickly because then all of a sudden it, it kind of it lessens the impact of that that reward, um, but uh, you know, and, and it, it's totally up to you. But I I find I wouldn't limit it only to main story uh, elements. I find personal journeys, personal side arcs, and some side stories can be as impactful as main narrative moments. So you know, gauge it as it comes. You never know which ones are going to be the, the big impactful moments, or which ones are going to really in, uh, be an interpretation of character growth until you get there. So if, if you find yourself after a, after a while within one level that's plateaued for a bit and the players do a small side quest but have a really wonderful moment with an NPC or a, a very intense moment of, of, of you know, personal growth and learning and you think to yourself, I mean, I could let that be a milestone. Why not? Matt, this has been absolutely wonderful. I've, I've personally learned a ton. I can't wait to mine this conversation and, and, and write it all down myself so I can remember all of it. Uh, where, where can people find you? What do you want to aim them towards and, and what projects do you currently have going on? Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Matthew Mercer and Instagram, which I don't use as much, but I'm trying to be better uh, at Matthew Mercer VO. Um, I dungeon master critical role largely every Thursday night at uh, 7 PM Pacific time on geek and sundries, Twitch. And they also end up on YouTube after. So if you're, if you're not on the Twitch thing, you can go there and a, and a podcast. Yes, yes, and we now have the podcast episodes coming up. It's, it's slow rolling, but we're getting getting the podcast audio now up to speed. Finally, it took long enough. For us Force- commuters, we love it. Oh, well, that, that's how I wanted to do it. It's just, it was an undertaking, but we, we're, we're getting it done. So I'm glad you guys are enjoying it. Force Grey Season 2 coming up soon on the, the official D&D Twitch stream, where I Dungeon Master a bunch of other fun celebrity folk through the next season. Check that out. If you're going to be at Gen Con, come check out. We have a few panels and we have our live show. I think tickets are still up. We're doing that. And my campaign guide just will be coming out soon. I think it's September. It's going to hit bookstores. Yeah. Uh, so look it for was, the Taldori. It was like a- from what I understand, it's like a pre-order and it's already sold out and already has to do a second print or something like that. Yeah. It's <laughs> oh, man. This is all. This is my first time I've ever done anything like this. And I'm, I've been so nervous, <laughs> so nervous about it. Like, so anxious. Like, oh, my God, please don't hate it, everybody. But people seem to, people seem to like it. So, uh, so yeah, great. you can look, look forward to that in September. Great, great, great. Well, thank you again. This has been really wonderful. Dude, thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Great questions. Right. Great company. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, and thanks to everybody that's been watching, everybody that posted on on Twitter, and everybody that's been following on uh, on Twitch. And for those watching on YouTube and those on the podcast, 
Thank you all as well, and, and good night. you about the Venture Maidens podcast. Four lifelong gamers. Four longtime friends doing a real play 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Including such themes as Ooh, awkward NPC romance. Darts to the butt. Chopping things with axes. Find us on iTunes, Spreaker, Twitter, Facebook, or Twitch. New episodes every other Sunday. Or every other Wednesday on Twitch. Check out our website, www.theventuremaidens.com. And start the quest today. Until then, venture away.